This week's parsha of Ayetze, the Torah describes to us in, in detail the personality of Lavan. Now, we've often said that when the Torah talks about a person, of course it's relating the story which happened. But if the Torah takes pains to emphasize a lot of details about the person, it's because the Torah wants us to learn something. And when the Torah describes the Tzadik in detail, then there's a certain qualities, a certain midas, which we're meant to learn from the Tzadik and emulate. And if the Torah describes the Rasha in detail, then it's showing us a certain negative midah, or a certain bad character, which manifests itself in different ways. And the Torah is showing us the whole picture of this negative personality, of this bad midah, so that we can learn to avoid it. Or... We can also learn to be notice it in someone else and how to deal with it. And therefore, if we have such a long, so to speak, parasha, which tells us in detail about Yaakov's interaction with Lavan, and it describes in so much arichus Lavan to us, so obviously there's something to learn about the Lavan personality. So let's look at part of the story, and let's notice a number of points, which describe love unto us. Firstly, we know from the beginning when Yaakov originally arrives in Haran, he tells Rachel who he is, Rachel runs to call her father. Lovin runs outside and Lovin plays the perfect host. He embraces Yaakov, he kisses him, he pats him down and it looks like it's just a very effusive greeting. And of course, that's how Lavan presents it. Chazal tell us, Lavan wasn't so effusive. Lavan was more interested in feeling where's Yaakov hidden his money. Maybe it's in his clothing, maybe it's in his mouth. And of course, what Lavan's really interested in and how Lavan presents himself is two different ways. But Lavan has to play the part. And therefore, Lavan tells Yaakov, you're my relative, come into my home. And it looks to us like he's being very hospitable. Not only that, it says he was there for a month. It's a long period of time. But, what did he see next? Was Yaakov just an honored guest? A visitor for that month? No. You see at the end of the month, Lovan again presenting himself as a tzaddik. Says what? You've been working all this time for nothing. That's not right. I should be paying you for your work. It's, I, I feel that I'm doing the right thing by offering you a salary as well. Are you wondering, why was Yaakov working? Lovan hired him? Well, well, he should have been a guest. But we see, being a guest in Lovin's house means you're going to be put to work. And not that Lovin feels bad about that. No, Lovin feels himself to be righteous in the fact that after working a month for free, he says, really, I should be offering you something for your work. That's just the beginning. What do we find next? Yaakov says, I'm making a deal with you, a very clear understanding, that I'm going to work seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Lovin agrees. Yaakov works faithfully for seven years. And at the end of that, Lovin gives him his daughter Leah. And of course, Yaakov's going to come and complain. Yaakov's going to say, this wasn't a deal. You're breaking the terms. I made it very clear. I stipulated it was going to be Rachel. Why did you give me Leah? And we're talking about a Lovin. So don't expect a second for Lovin to apologize. Don't expect a second for Lovin to feel guilty about it. On the contrary, 
Lavan always takes the moral high ground. And Lavan says, Yaakov, what are you talking about? You done it as a menhag in Quran. Give the older daughter first. What, you really expect me to go against the menhag? Come on, Yaakov. Well, what's, this, what's going on over here? There's a way we do things. So why did you originally tell me you were going to give me Rachel? Listen, seven years ago. Seven years ago, who knows what it would be? Maybe they would be married with kids by now. Things didn't work out. Okay, she's still single. So of course I have to give her first. There's not a, sh- a shred of guilt, of remorse, of acknowledgement that something has been done wrong. On the contrary, Lovin comes across as being generous. He says, you know what? I'm even prepared to give you Rachel as well. It's not enough I gave you Leah. You want Rachel too? I'm, I'm willing to do that as well. Obviously, it's seven more years of work, but I'm willing to go ahead with that also. That's uh, one glimpse into the personality of Lovin. And if you find the story, you find it again. At the end of the story, Yaakov leaves without telling Lovin he's leaving. Lovin finds out about it. And Lovin gathers all his friends, all his family. They arm themselves and they come out with weapons. They're coming to fight. But when Lovin meets Yaakov, what does he say to him? He says, Yaakov, I just wanted to say goodbye. I would have sent you off with fanfare, with drums, with a simcha. You didn't even let me kiss my grandchildren goodbye. Yaakov, what kind of derech heritage is that? So, so what did I do? I ran after you kissed them goodbye. I brought armed soldiers for that. Why? But that, 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 that Lovin doesn't explain. But rather, he presents himself. I was doing that. I'm just a loving grandfather. I just came to say goodbye to my children, to my grandchildren. You, you denying me the privilege? Obviously, that wasn't his intention. Like we said, that doesn't need soldiers. But that's Lovin. Lovin presents himself as always being right. And when ya- Yaakov tries to argue with him, and, ya- and Yaakov says to him, you don't appreciate how hard I worked for you, you don't appreciate all the effort I went through for you. And that's the truth. Lovin really doesn't. But don't try and guilt trip Lovin into feeling remorse or into feeling uh, he owes somebody else something, some kind of gratitude. Not at all. Lovin brushes it off. He says, Yaakov, I owe you something. You owe me much more. This is all mine. The, the daughters are mine, the grandchildren are mine, the sheep are mine. You should be thanking me for everything. A loving personality can never admit to be wrong. A loving personality can never agree to somebody else. A loving personality will change the facts as it suits them but not only to make themselves look good. At the same time, there's a second side to Lovin. And that is, Lovin doesn't miss an opportunity to make Yaakov look bad. So for example, right at the beginning, when Yaakov says to him, I'm willing to work seven years for for Rachel. So, he doesn't say, okay, I'm willing to give you Rachel. I think you'd be a very good husband. No, Lovin says, you know what? You're the best option I have. Better you than somebody else. Uh, if, uh, basically saying that if I had a better option, I'd take somebody else for Rachel, but there's no one else in the car. So, okay, so I suppose I bet the will settle for you. And then when he chases love, Yaakov at the end, and he says, Why did he leave without saying goodbye? Lovin says to him, You know, you're a gun of Yaakov. I don't know what you stole from me, but I'm sure you stole something. I want to check your things. And Yaakov can protest his innocence and Yaakov can say, I didn't take anything. Lovin's going to check. 
He's going to make a point of going through every single item in Yaakov's tent and his wife's tent and his kids' tent because I'm convinced you're a Ganev. And once again, would he really think Yaakov's a Ganev? No, it's just a good opportunity to demean him. And when he doesn't find anything, Yaakov says, no, put on, show, show, what did you find after you've expe- examined all my things? You've accused me of everything. Where, where's the proof? Show me what you found. Lovin doesn't have any proof. But that doesn't deter him. I'm sure Lovin's reaction was, you're right, you hid it well enough. I have no idea where you put it. <laughs> you must have hidden it well enough. I can't find it. He's not going to admit that he was wrong. And the same thing the whole way through. When Yaakov accuses him of having changed my wages a hundred times, Lovin doesn't bother to deny it. If it hadn't been true, you can be sure Lovin would have said something about it. Lovin ignores the claim because it was true. Does Lovin apologize for that? Not at all. And I'm sure the whole way through, when during those hundred times that Lovin changed the deal, he's going to be very, not apologize, I'm sorry, I meant this, I thought that. No, you misunderstood, I really meant this. Yaakov, you did not think I meant that, did you? Of course, I meant the opposite. And then the last time, when Lovin makes the treaty with Yaakov, and he makes this pile of the stones, the Yigal aid, so how does he present it? He says, we're making a deal between us. I'm going to cross this, this pile of stones to come to you, and you're not going to cross this pile of stones to come to harm me. So we have the same question. Why don't you make it equal? Say, I won't cross it to harm you, you won't cross it to harm me. That would be fair, that would be even. Or just say simply, I'm not going to cross the stones, you won't cross the stones. But no, that's not love. No one's going to say, I'm not going to cross the stones. I would never think of doing anything bad. So I'm making a deal, I won't cross for any reason. And you, I don't trust you. And I want you to make a deal, you're not going to cross these stones to harm me. Uh, because that's what I assume you're going to want to do. Once again, just one more time to try and make Yaakov look bad. And that was Yaakov, Yulavan's parting gift to Yaakov too. He said, okay, I'm leaving you. I'm leaving you with my precious daughters, my grandchildren, I'll kiss them all goodbye. Yaakov, you better promise me. You're not going to torture my children. You're not going to harm them. Why would you assume Yaakov the Tzaddik is going to harm his wives, his own children? But that's what Lovin's going to say. Why? Because it's part of that same personality. Lovin will make himself look good in any circumstance. Change the facts to suit himself. But Lovin will always make Yaakov look bad. And Yaakov tried a number of times to rationalize Lovin, to argue with Lovin, to ask Lovin to explain himself. It never works. It never works. Because Lovin is Lovin. And the danger of being with a Lovin is that being exposed to enough of Lovin's way of looking at things, Lovin who is so self-confident in his own in his own sitkus, in his own correctness, in his own being right, so that feeling starts to wear off on other people also. They think, maybe, maybe, maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe he really is right. Maybe I really am wrong. And a person can start to doubt themselves when they met with somebody you can present the falsehood with such, so to speak, equanimity, with such confidence that it makes it sound like the person who really is thinking the MS starts to feel a little less confident of themselves. And what God gave Yaakov, who was the paragon of MS, and this is Yaakov's Nisayan, to confront the role model of Shekhar. And what gave Yaakov the Koyach? 
to maintain the knowledge that I'm right. As well as, as much as Lovan can present himself as right, he's wrong. As much as he can try and make himself look like a tzaddik, he's a Russia. What gives Yaakov the koyach? That's what says the end of the Pasha. Yaakov left Yavon and he saw the Malachi Elakim coming to greet him. And Yaakov knows if, I'm, if the Malachim are with me, that means I'm doing the right thing. And sometimes they need an outside confirmation. Because otherwise the person can start to feel that maybe the, the, the Russia is, is, is really right. He's so convinced of himself, he's so convincing in what he says. It needs the Malachim. It needs something external to show a person that this is the sign that the Emes is with you. That's the insight of the personality of Lovell. And there are lots of Lovells. There are lots of people who follow that same footstep in his footsteps. They will never ever admit to being wrong. And they will contradict themselves endlessly to explain why they're right. With no embarrassment that they're lying and they say the opposite yesterday and they're completely contradicting the facts, it makes no difference. They can be loved ones. And at the same time, at the same time, they never, will never spare an opportunity to vilify the other, the tzaddik, to vilify the one who's right in any possible way. Again, without any logic, without any proof. It's just because that's what love and does. And what's the way to deal with that? The same way the Torah tells us when it comes to love, when it comes to Yaakov. It doesn't help to argue with love. It doesn't also try and disprove love. It doesn't help to try and rationalize. There's nobody to talk to. A love is happy to invent the facts to suit him, to drop his one position and change it completely at will, to falsify everything. And fully believe himself in the shaka that he's saying. There's no one to talk to about love. The thing to do, and the only thing to do, is to maintain our knowledge that what we're doing is right. If what we're doing is what's right, I'll be the Torah. We don't have malachim today, but if what we're doing is right, I'll be what's the correct thing to do. I'll be, I'll be those who represent the Torah then we can't get led astray or overwhelmed by love. We have to know this is the Machan Neleke. There are lots of love ones. We could have said this about lots of people. But right now, this is the chizik we need, specific in the situation the client rolls in. If one just listens to the things that our enemies the Arabs are saying, you can see Lovan at his best. From first claiming that the terrorist attack was a military operation that didn't touch civilians, to claiming that actually they didn't do an operation at all, it was the Israeli army who killed their own people, to claiming that it wasn't Hamas, it was somebody else, to claiming they did nothing wrong, it was justified. What, do you have no compunctions of contradicting yourself the whole time? I'm saying things which are obviously shaker or can be have been disproved and can be disproved. No, you're talking to Lovan. Don't expect Lovan to be help, consider the truth to be an obstacle. 
And at the same time, a lover will always look to make Yaakov look bad. The world's reporters, they're all final medium of Lavan. Once again, where it actually happened, that's irrelevant. If it's a way to make Yaakov look bad, they're happy to do that. It's true, it's not true. It doesn't stop them. But the lesson to learn is don't expect it to change. Don't think rationalizing with them or trying to bring proof or trying to show something that's, show something as the truth is going to help. It doesn't. The truth doesn't stop love. It doesn't make any difference. What one has to realize is we don't expect love to change. We don't expect love to consider us a tzaddik. Yaakov, as much as he was a tzaddik, was never ever appreciated by his father-in-law. On the contrary, he was considered a ganif and he was considered a as somebody who would hurt other people and he was considered someone who's dishonest. Don't look for approval from Lavan. Look for approval from Malachim. That's the message for us also. Don't expect the world to change. Don't expect the press to become honest. Don't expect the Arabs to recognize the truth. It's the world of Lavan. If we know what we're doing is right, if we have the Daesh Torah to guide us, and that's what we have to rely on. And that's the Chizok Yaakov got. When he left love and he met the Malachim, he said, this is the camp of Hashem. This is the guarantee that I'm right. And that has to be the guidepost for us as well. If what we're doing is correct up with the Torah, then this is the Machina of Hashem. And if you know Hashem is with us, then we know that we're right.